in a world where every- Hey guys, it's Mike D. Thanks for listening to the Bobby Bones Show podcast. I wanted to hop on here and share an episode of my podcast with you guys. It's called Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, where every single week I just talk about movies, whether it's behind the scenes stuff. Sometimes I'll have directors or actors on. But this episode in particular that I wanted to share with you guys was one where I researched the topic about actors and if they're really singing in the movies you've seen them in or not. So everything from like Walk the Line to the movie Selena, all these movies where they're singing in the movie. I researched and found out if it's their voice or if it's a different person actually doing the singing. So it's a bit of movie history, also a bit of music history. I thought you guys would maybe find this episode enjoyable. And if you end up liking this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast to get brand new episodes every single Monday. All you have to search is movie mics wherever you're listening to this right now. Hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, and you get brand new episodes every single week. And the other thing I like to do is get you guys involved on the episode. So I usually tweet something or post on my Instagram at Mike Destro. That's Mike D-E-E-S-T-R-O. And I like to get you guys involved in the topic each week too. So follow me there and you'll kind of be a part of the podcast as well. But hope you enjoy this episode. Maybe share it with a friend or post it on your Instagram story. Tag me on there and I'll repost that too. So without any further ado, check out this episode. Everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So today we are answering the question, did they really sing in that movie? So what I did is I researched a bunch of actors who are in music movies either biopics or just musicals and I wanted to find out did they actually provide the voice in these movies or did they get somebody else to come in and sing the parts you know how they have like stunt doubles come in and do like the action scenes did they do that with the musical part of the movie so I think it's a lot cooler when an actor can actually sing the part especially when it's a biopic because I think it gives a more raw and real approach to the acting and it also just looks better and feels more authentic on screen So I prefer that. But again, if you can lip sync a performance just as well, I don't think it takes away a lot from the movie. Like really what you want to go in and see is the movies do justice to the artist and do justice to the song. So no matter how they do that, I think it's a win-win. But I think sometimes we get tricked a little bit to thinking like, oh, look, they sang all the parts in this movie. And it turns out they didn't. So actually, one, I researched. I thought this artist sang the songs in the movie from, like, it's a movie from my childhood. And the person is actually a really great singer, but it turns out they didn't provide the vocals. So I'll get into that one. But what I want to do first is actors who actually did sing in the movies. Starting off first with Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, which is one of the most recent ones because Bradley Cooper, he directed the film and he kind of just transformed his entire essence and being into being a musician everything from hanging out with eddie vetter from van halen to kind of find out what it's like to be a rock star but he went really hardcore into taking singing lessons but not only that just like pretty much changing his voice like he like worked with like a speech coach and somebody to train him on how to have that really gravelly voice that he has in the movie like he like went all in so he not only learned how to play guitar for the movie He took um, guitar lessons from Willie Nelson's son, Lucas Nelson, to actually learn how to play guitar. And I think this gives a really great rawness to this movie. And what takes it up even a step further 
is that they recorded a bunch of these performances live because that's what Lady Gaga wanted. She didn't want to sing to a track, which, of course, you have a pop star like Lady Gaga. Of course, she's going to sing her own parts. But her request was that she wanted to do them all live. She thought going in and lip syncing to recorded tracks would take away from the performance, which I feel gives a really... Like, it works really well in this movie because a lot of it is some, like, just Bradley Cooper on an acoustic sometimes, or it's them two together performing a duet. And I think having that live chemistry between them two, because it's really great in this movie. Like, them two together is perfect. And even them singing, like, on award shows together is great. So I'm really glad they did that with this movie. And I think it's cool to find out that Bradley Cooper can actually sing. And I liked a lot of songs from this movie. I know the big one, the number one, is Shallow. But there's a song in this movie called Maybe It's Time, and it's just Bradley Cooper and an acoustic, and I think it's my favorite song from the movie. I know everybody's probably a bigger fan of Shallow, but like this song, I remember hearing and thinking, I this is actually a song I would just listen to normally, and it was a song off the soundtrack that I would go and just seek out and listen to on my own. Um, if you haven't heard that song, here's a little bit of it. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the always die Takes a lot to change, man Hell, it takes a lot to try So that's my favorite song from the movie, actually written Maybe by Jason Isbell. And a really great music movie if you haven't seen it. And if you want to go and watch it now, it's been out a minute, but I think it's good to watch and know that he's actually singing in this movie. Up next, I want to talk about Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon in Walk the Line, which they both actually sing in this movie. Not only that, they learned instruments like Joaquin Phoenix learned how to play guitar and Reese Witherspoon learned how to play the auto harp. And they performed a lot of these together live. So I think Reese Witherspoon was pretty nervous about doing this movie because she didn't realize like the musical aspect to it, like she was going to have to sing. But she's actually a really great singer and them together sounds really good in the movie. And it's hard to believe like how talented both of them are. And the fact that they actually sing the songs just kind of makes the movie that much better. So they both did six months of vocal training before they started filming this movie. And Joaquin Phoenix, his voice was actually like too high to play Johnny Cash. So he was trying to get it down low a little bit. But whenever they were performing and rehearsing with the band before filming, they're like, dude, your voice is too high. We're going to have to take all the songs up like a key. So they made all the songs kind of match to joaquin phoenix's range and then right before they started filming i guess he trained himself or somehow his voice got lower so then they went back and relearned all the songs in a lower key which i think is pretty cool that he was like he sounds like johnny cash in this movie when singing and he gets like the mannerisms down everything from just like his on stage like performance and just the way he kind of moves his mouth i think he did a really great job in that and i'm kind of glad he was able to get his voice a little bit lower because i think that would have taken away a bit if it would have been like him singing in a higher pitch. I kind of wonder what that sounded like. Did it sound just like a higher version of him or did it sound like squeaky? Like, I don't know. But they can both actually really sing. And uh, June Carter Cash actually like approved of Reese Witherspoon playing her in the movie before she passed away. And it's kind of sad that they didn't get to see this movie, you know, be put out into the world like before they passed away because I think it does them a lot of justice. And I think it's one of the best biopics out there, the most authentic feeling, and I'm glad they both sang in this movie. All right, now I want to talk about Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone in La La Land, and they both actually sing in this movie. Before this, Emma Stone, she did a lot of like Broadway stuff, and she sang there, and I think they got her to sing in this movie 
like they didn't know that she was like that great a singer. I don't think that's what they were looking for. I'm not saying she's a bad singer. Like her performance in this is actually really good and she sounds good. But they were also looking for more theatrical singing for this musical. So her kind of style already fit that. And I think they kind of looked for her having a rawness and not being super polished, which I think works in this because, I mean, it's a musical. You basically go from acting into straight up bursting into song. You don't have to be a stellar vocalist to be in this movie and do this part well. Same thing with Ryan Gosling, that I don't think he's the best singer, but he can sing in a musical and perform and act really well. But the thing about Ryan Gosling is he's, I mean, he's done some singing in some of his other movies. And he was actually in the Mickey Mouse Club as a kid. So, like, with all, like, the original, like, Backstreet Boys, like, that was him. Like, he was, like, 12, 13 years old and singing on the Mickey Mouse Club. And I actually pulled a clip of him singing just to kind of get an idea of how talented he was as a kid. So, this is Ryan Gosling, like, 12 years old singing on the Mickey Mouse Club. So he went from that to singing in La La Land. And he's just kind of a guy you have to be jealous about. Like, not only is he so good looking, not only can he act so incredibly well, but he can sing too. Like, come on, man. All right, next I want to talk about a movie that I wasn't expecting to like. Now, I've been saying for a while now that I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I think I'm just not a fan of bad musicals because every good musical I get recommended to, I end up liking. And that was the case with this movie, The Greatest Showman. Now... This is a very big musical. It's very elaborate, very loud. It's very in your face. There's no getting around that it is a musical. So it's really cool seeing Hugh Jackman's range because not only is he Wolverine where he plays a really scraggly, you know, macho action star, he goes on to do The Greatest Showman where he's just this very, like, dominating vocal presence. And he can really sing. Like, this is really him singing in this movie. And so much so that he'll like do shows and tours where he performs these songs and these songs are actually really great and very uplifting and kind of like you find yourself singing them around the house like I don't know like there was a time in my life where this movie was like kind of in my head the whole time and I was like man that that was actually really good and it's very hard for a musical to kind of break through to me but I found this one interesting and I found it great how he sang in the movie and the soundtrack is really good. And a lot of the actors actually ended up providing the voices in this movie. Everyone from, of course, Hugh Jackman, Michelle Williams, and Daya, and even Zac Efron actually sang in this movie. There was only like one of the main cast who didn't perform um, the vocals because she was an opera singer in the movie and couldn't really get that opera voice down. So they had her dubbed in. And that was Rebecca Ferguson who played Jerry Lind in the movie. And that was more so that she was playing a really world-renowned opera singer. And it's really hard to kind of mimic that and recreate that but yeah Hugh Jackman really talented guy so not only did he sing in this movie but he went through like 10 weeks of dance rehearsal to be able to perform all those dance numbers so pretty incredible performance here and if you watch it know that yep it's actually him singing he is that talented all right so the last one I want to talk about is Rocket Man where Taron Egerton played Elton John in the movie and he actually provides the singing voice in this And I don't know why, but I have a little bit of a problem with Rocket Man, the movie, because Elton John had a lot of input on this movie. And the fact that he's still living, I feel takes a little bit away from like the story in this movie. And don't get me wrong, like Elton John, iconic musician, um, 
he'll go down in history as one of the greatest, and I'm not taking anything away from his legacy, but I like it when a biopic has as little influence from the artist or even like the artist's family. I like when a biopic comes out that's either the person has passed away and it's, you know, remembering their legacy or it's later, later, later in their career where it's just like, okay, here's everything that I've done. Like, I like those kind of movies. And it's very rare that that happens because their family is going to kind of have a an input on how you portray the character. So it's very rare to get a really raw and straight up what their life was like. But with this one, I just felt... He was so involved in it, and the movie was also 20 years in the making. Like He was trying to make this movie 20 years ago, so much to the point like the first person he wanted to play him was Justin Timberlake, and he was actually going to be Elton John and sing the parts in the movie. And at one point, Tom Hardy was even like considered for the role, and then they finally decided on Taron, who is a lot younger. So I thought this movie was okay. I'm not the biggest Elton John fan to begin with, but I just felt it didn't really tell his story entirely. Like, it wasn't the movie I was ready for yet. I would have liked this movie maybe 10 years from now. There was just nothing about it that really stood out to me. I think it kind of bought into the hype around when Bohemian Rhapsody came out, which I'll get into later. But I think it was just kind of buying into the biopics and everybody kind of wanting to, you know, put out a movie about themselves. So, but either way, it's cool that Taron Egerton actually sang all the songs in this movie and so much so that he wanted to actually look a lot like Elton John, which I think is probably what they got down best. Like, he would shave his head to look like Elton John and gave him the receding hairline so much that he actually started losing his hair. So that is commitment to a role. All right, so what I want to talk about next is actors who actually tricked us to thinking that they were singing in a movie one that probably ruined a movie from my childhood. I'll talk about all of those after this. All right, now we'll talk about actors who tricked us into thinking that they were actually singing in movies. So last year, Bohemian Rhapsody was a big movie, and I thought the movie was okay. I felt it was a little bit rushed, but myself, I wasn't too familiar with Queen's music, so what that movie did for me was really kind of make me familiar with their music and really kind of go back and like listen to them and get into them from that movie. And the thing about Queen and Freddie Mercury is that he has such a distinct voice that they had to do something to make it sound like Freddie Mercury. So Remy Malek, they got him. He wasn't the original choice for that movie. It was actually going to be Sacha Baron Cohen who was going to play him, but then he backed out of the entire movie because the guys from Queen got so involved in the making of that movie that they wanted Freddie Mercury to die in the middle of it, and then the rest of the movie be about how they recouped and did the band without him. So that got scrapped. He was like, I'm out. And then they found Remy Malek, who had a striking resemblance to Freddie Mercury, and they did some um, work with his teeth to put in fake teeth to make him have that smile. And... The thing is, he didn't sound like Freddie Mercury, so they had to go and find a way to recreate Freddie's voice. Like I said, it's so distinct. So actually what you're hearing in the movie is real recordings from Freddie Mercury that they took from live stuff or just studio stuff. But a lot of it is this guy named Mark Martell, who actually came in on the radio show on the Bobby Bones show and performed. And it's crazy to see this guy perform because he came in just him and the piano and just from when he was warming up. He did like these little runs that I was like, holy crap, I could close my eyes and picture Freddie Mercury. Like when he was actually playing and performing, I closed my eyes at one point and I was like, I could like, I could visualize it. Like he sounds so much like him. So what they said after this movie came out is that they kind of took Remy Malek's voice, Mark Martell's, Freddie Mercury, and made a combination to put him in the movie. But what I've actually really heard is that it's pretty much all this guy, Mark Martell, because he sounds so like him. 
and to the point to where the guys from Queen signed off on him. And I think just watching that movie and after seeing him perform live, I'm pretty sure that they used like most of his stuff because it is so right on. But Remy Malek did a really great job playing Freddie Mercury, but sounding like him, that's a really hard thing to do. So I don't hold anything against the guy. He won Best Actor for it. I just think it's pretty cool how they made that happen. But if you're watching that movie and thinking it's Remy Malek singing, it is not. Now, this next one kind of got me by surprise because Jamie Foxx is a really talented actor and musician, and he's a really great singer. And when he played Ray Charles in the movie Ray, I thought that was a, you know, a no-brainer that he was singing in it. But the thing is that Jamie Foxx, he loves Ray Charles, and he, I mean, he nailed the performance. He looks like him, but he didn't want to attempt to kind of recreate or mimic Ray Charles' voice because in the movie, he is playing Ray Charles like throughout his career, and he didn't want to do like an impression of what would end up just sounding like the end of Ray Charles' life. So what he did was he actually went and learned piano. So in the movie, it's actually him playing piano, which is a hard thing to recreate. Like when it comes to learning instruments, if you don't know how to play an instrument while you're acting, it's going to look really like, like you're not going to believe it because you're not going to be looking like you're knowing what you're doing. So he learned how to play piano to make that part authentic. But he wanted to hold Ray Charles's voice and use his actual like recording. So he didn't actually sing in the movie Ray. And he actually does like a really great impression of Ray. And he can actually sing just like him. But for the movie's sake, they use live recordings. They use stuff from the studio. And it's not Jamie Foxx singing in the movie. Nailed the part though. <laughs> He's a really talented guy and sings in other movies, just not in this one. Now, this next one is one that kind of ruined my childhood just a little bit because I'm a big Selena Quintanilla fan. She's a Tejano artist out of Texas. And growing up, like I was maybe five years old and I didn't really know anything about music, but I knew Selena. And when she died, it was a really sad day, like in my family. Like I remember the day she died and I remember getting a T-shirt with Selena's face on it and I loved her music. So when the movie came out, I was as a kid excited to see it and Jennifer Lopez in it. I love her in this movie, and the whole time I thought it was her singing because Jennifer Lopez is like Jamie Foxx, like I was saying earlier, she's a great actress and a great singer, but they didn't use Jennifer Lopez's movie in the movie. She is actually just lip syncing all the songs, and it's Selena's real voice in the movie, which makes sense looking back now because it sounds so identical to the recording, so identical to how she sounded live, and a lot of those are just studio recordings. It's not actually Jennifer Lopez singing despite how much she looks like her and could probably sound just like her. I just think it would have been a lot cooler if it was her voice, but I get it that they wanted to hold it kind of true to what Selena sounded like and have her actual music in the movie. But for me, I think it takes a little bit away from my childhood thinking that it was Jennifer Lopez. Still a great movie. If you haven't seen it, though, it's not on Netflix anymore, but if you subscribe to HBO Max now, you can watch it there. All right, this next one is another one of my favorite movies. It's La Bamba, starring Lou Diamond Phillips, who played... Richie Valens, and Richie Valens, of course, died in a plane crash back in the 50s with Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper. And this movie, watching it, I kind of knew that it wasn't Lou Diamond Phillips singing in it because you can almost tell in some scenes where he's lip syncing that it just kind of completely changes and sounds like a recording. But what they ended up doing is they used music recreated by Los Lobos because when Richie Valens went into the recording studio and did these old tracks back in the day, they didn't have everything separated. So when you record music nowadays, you have like the vocals on one track, the guitars on one track, the drums on another track and so forth. 
But back in the day, it was like straight up everything on one track because it's so old school. Everything's just pretty much recorded to tape and there was no way to pull apart the track. So what they end up doing, like when they're shooting the movie is they'll lip sync to the vocals or something like that. Kind of strip it down in a way to where they can recreate the scenes and make it, you know, sync up just perfectly. But they couldn't do that with these old recordings. So what they did is they got Los Lobos to essentially recreate all of Richie Valens' music for the movie, including the song La Bamba, which I knew that one because I remember having the soundtrack to this to this movie and all of the songs in there had Los Lobos. I was like, oh, so it's not... Lieutenant Phillips singing, which pretty much makes sense. He looks a lot like Richie Valens in the movie, but it's not him singing. This next one's actually kind of funny. The movie Old Brother Where Art Thou starring George Clooney has a really great soundtrack. And George Clooney, you think he's singing in the movie. And it would be kind of like an entire package if George Clooney was that good looking and could be able to sing. But what they tried to do for this movie first is actually use George Clooney's voice. They're like, you know what? Let's give him a shot. So he actually sang on like the early recordings going into this movie. And when the producers listened back to this, they pretty much said that he sounded like a cat just screeching and sounded terrible and they couldn't use it. So what you see in the movie and what you hear on the soundtrack, it's not George Clooney. It's actually from a band called the Soggy Bottom Boys who ended up winning a Grammy for this soundtrack and the main song on it, Man of Constant Sorrow. Even though as talented as George Clooney is, not him singing in this one. So this next one's pretty cool. So you got the animated 1994 original Lion King and you have a young Simba voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who you may remember from Home Improvement and pretty much being a little heartthrob in the 90s. But he didn't provide the singing voice for Simba in this movie. Who actually did it was an actor named Jason Weaver, who you may remember as the older brother in Smart Guy, which was a really great TV show back in the 90s. And he did the singing voice for this. And not only that, but Disney originally offered him two million dollars to do the voice for Simba and essentially okay you take the two million dollars and that's your pay for this movie but his mom really had a big win here because she kind of knew how deep or big Disney pockets were and how much this movie could really be successful that she made a really powerful business move to be like you know what we don't want the two million instead we'll take a hundred thousand dollars and we want some royalties of the movie which was probably the best move in like a kid's acting career because The Lion King, arguably one of the biggest Disney movies of all time, and you're getting royalties from that from forever. Really, you have that money coming in for the rest of your life. Just a straight up paycheck in the mail. That's like a really great business move, an awesome way for a mom to be looking out for their young kid. Because really, at that age, $2 million sounds like an incredible amount of money. But you're looking at Disney here and you're thinking, you know what? They're putting out these really big legacy animated movies in the 90s. I want to get in on this. I want this for the rest of my life. So I hope those royalties are still coming in for them because that is an amazing story. Uh, this next one's a little cringeworthy. So Zac Efron in High School Musical. Zac Efron is actually a decent singer. Um, we talked about The Greatest Showman, where he did actually provide the singing voice in that. So he can sing, and he thought he was going to be the one singing in High School Musical. Like, he filmed the movie and did all the singing, but when the movie came out, he realized that they took all of his vocals out and brought in another singer to sing over him. So it's not actually Zac Efron in that movie because they didn't want to use his vocals. So they got somebody else, hired him, so Zac Efron said he was actually blindsided when he found out that they didn't use his voice 
And after that, that he realized that they brought somebody else to record the vocals and put him in instead without him knowing. When it came to the sequels for this, he pushed for them to actually use his vocals in the second and third movie. So after that original movie, it is Zac Efron singing in the movies. And speaking of Disney movies, a guilty pleasure of mine is the Lizzie McGuire movie. And I was actually thinking of this movie the other day because I felt like this movie kind of ended my childhood. Now, I didn't get super into Disney really, but I did... From time to time, when I would go over to like my cousin's house, I would watch the Disney original channel movies because after like a certain time at night, they would just replay those all over and over and over. And I didn't have cable at the time. So that's really the kind of time I would binge all these movies. And I remember watching Lizzie McGuire and being really excited when the movie came out. And I feel like that was kind of like the last of my years of being into any kind of Disney channel stuff because I was growing into being like a teenager, going to middle school. And I was like, I'm not really going to be into this anymore. And I remember like the summer that the Lizzie McGuire movie came out. Maybe I didn't see it in theaters. I may have saw it like on DVD, but I felt like that was the end of like a marking point of my life. That's kind of how I like pinpoint the end of me being like a an innocent kid to going on to being a teenager. But in this movie, Hilary Duff actually plays two characters. She plays herself as Lizzie McGuire, and then she plays the other singer, Isabella, in the movie. Like a parent trap split screen situation going on here, but Lizzie McGuire is voiced by Hillary Duff, so that's her singing those parts in the movie. But to bring in Isabella, they actually used Hillary Duff's sister, Haley Duff, who also guest starred in a few episodes of Lizzie McGuire, so it's all right there coming out in the movie. Haley Duff and Hillary Duff both singing in that part. And there you go. Those are the ones that I found were the most interesting. If there are any others you think I should have included in this list, just hit me up and tweet me at Mike Distro or send me a message on Instagram. All right, so this next movie review, it's a movie that I was highly recommended to watch by a guy I work with on the Bobby Bone Show named Lunchbox. He saw this movie and was like completely floored, completely blown away by it. So much so that he's been recommending it to everybody, like even to like his family. And Lunchbox isn't really a big movie guy. So it takes really kind of something to kind of shake him to his core and so much so that he recommends it to people. So I was like, all right, I can't believe, first of all, that I haven't seen this movie. And second of all, if he's so hype about this, it has to be good. So it's a movie called Molly's Game, which came out in 2017. It stars Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba and Kevin Costner. And it is available to watch now on Netflix if you're looking for something to watch. But before I get into the review, here's just a little bit of Molly's Game. I'm Molly Bloom. Do you know about me? I read your indictment after I got your call last night and I bought your book. Do you understand that you are charged with operating an illegal gambling business? Are you taking me on as a client? I don't think I can convince my partners to take a flyer on the poke princess. If you think a princess can do what I did, you're incorrect. I'm getting that you don't think much of me, but what if every single one of your ill-informed, unsophisticated opinions about me were wrong? So the movie is the true story of Molly Bloom, who was an Olympic-class skier and then ran the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game and became a target for the FBI. And what I liked about this movie but in the beginning was that it kind of started at the end. It kind of set up her story as an Olympic skier. And then it kind of just kind of flip flops and goes into how she got arrested. So it kind of starts at the end and then it works away, figuring out kind of what happened. So Jessica Chastain plays Molly and then she's working with Idris Elba, who was her lawyer and she's trying to get out of trouble with the FBI. And then throughout her kind of explaining her situation, it goes backwards and kind of starts from the beginning of how she started running these poker games and to where she ended up now. So I felt the movie was had a really great premise. I liked the storyline, but I also felt like 
you needed to know a little bit about poker, which when Lunchbox told me about it, he said, even if you're not into poker, even if you don't anything about gambling, you'll still enjoy this movie. And I just found myself having to kind of Google things and kind of like look at things and realize like why they happened a certain way. I didn't feel like the movie did a great job explaining everything as it went throughout. But I think the real problem I had with this movie is that it's a lot of explaining and not showing. So it's Molly kind of pretty much telling the story of what happened the entire time. And she narrates in a way that it kind of gets a little bit boring because there's parts that you just want to see happen. You just want to feel those things. You want to feel those things with her and experience it with them, but it's all her kind of like backtracking back. And I felt like this movie was building up to something that never really paid off anywhere or got anything kind of accomplished to me in the movie. I thought there was going to be like this really big, unbelievable scene where just something unbelievable happened, but it never really got there for me and ended up, you know, I didn't feel like it did a really great job in that. There were some really cool parts to it. I thought there were some pretty cool parts to it. I found it interesting, but as a movie in a whole, I just didn't feel like it had a lane anywhere. Like it was kind of a biopic. But it didn't really feel like a coherent movie to me. Like, I thought it was entertaining enough to keep watching it. At no point, I was like, I'm going to turn this off and not care anymore. Maybe the last 20 minutes, I was kind of over it and didn't really care what was going to end up. So for that, I would probably rate it like barely at a three out of five poker chip. It's right on the very end. Like, it's entertaining enough. But it's also two hours and 20 minutes and those last 20 minutes really don't go anywhere. And it kind of ends and you're like, oh, that's how it ends. Like, that's it. Like, where's everything else? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's another movie inside there because it is based on a book and it is based on a true story. And I feel like there's more inside of that true story that makes for a better movie than the way this was told. And I don't even think it was the fact that it was so hyped up to me that I found myself not liking it. I just kind of got bored there towards the end. So I'd say maybe if you're really into poker and gambling and want to see a movie about that, maybe it's more for you. But if you know nothing about it and really don't care anything about that storyline, I'd say it's probably not worth your time. Thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you have a good day. Hope you have a good week. And I will talk to you next time. Later.